Welcome to the podcast for Refuge City Church. We hope that the message today blesses you and inspires you to be a refuge that embraces others. This morning, I, uh, I want to give a precursor, a little prelude into what I want to share with you. In a, lot, in a lot of ways this morning, and for a lot of reasons, um, some of which I'm going to share with you. First and foremost, it's going to be a little bit different delivery today than I normally share. Um, I'm going to be um, identifying with some things and connecting with some things that um, I believe are imperative for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe they're imperative for each and every one of us to filter or they can, they can nullify or they can novocaine. They can um, grip us. They can enchain us. They can envelop us. They can create walls for us that cause misunderstanding between us and the Father and that stop and quench the gospel. How many of you this morning know that the gospel and the love of the Father is alive? Okay, the gospel and the love of the Father is alive. It's alive in each each and every one of us. We just came off a a powerful series on, on what love is. We defined love, we defined what love looks like, we defined the application of love, love applied in the last three weeks. And um, just really dove deep into the word concerning God being love, his son being love, the gospel being all about love, the cross being about love. But there, there's kind of a, it's not part of the series. This is a message that the Lord put on my heart about three or four weeks ago. And, and to be honest with you, I've contended with it. I've contended on how to deliver it and make it articulate. I've contended on how to present it and... Let it resonate and still bring blessing to your heart and your spirit. Because in the love of the Father, there's, there's a, a question. Matter of fact, the second week that I was preaching on love, someone, someone challenged me going out the front door. And they said something not to be negative, and I don't want it to be negative this morning, but we have to answer this question because it'll infect and affect every one of our lives at some point. This person waited to speak to me. They, they didn't necessarily say this quietly, but they tried to say it reverently, and they said it from a pure heart. They didn't say it from a bitter heart, I believe. Um, they said it from a pure heart, but it created in me a desire to the best of my ability to tackle it. It's a, the title is in the form of a question. I don't want it to come up yet, but I, I want to preface it because a lot of times in our In our gospel of today, we spend more time in prosperity and what God owes us and what we deserve than realizing that we're a living sacrifice that's supposed to be holy and acceptable before him. We we live in a prosperity um, process now in church more than anything that the reason that we got saved, the reason that Jesus died on the cross was to give us a whole bunch of things and to bless us and to heal us and to change us and all of that encompasses that. But what happens when it doesn't? What happens? What happens in our soul? What happens in our faith? What happens in our life? If God loves me, why do bad things happen? That was the question and that's the title this morning. That this individual asked me that I thought was very bold. 
that we can't dive into the love of God. We can't really understand the love of God. We can't really partner with the love of God. We can't really exemplify the gospel. We can't really live out this walk of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. If we don't if we don't grasp something around this question, if God loves me, if God loves us, if God, if God died for us, why do bad things happen? Why do they happen? I thought it was a fair question, and I thought it was one, I thought it was one that we should tackle. I, I have a quote this morning that, that came kind of birthed out of this. And, and this is this, and I, I believe this is a goal of the gospel. This is one goal. There's many goals of the gospel, but let me give you this quote. One goal of the gospel is living this like, life like God doesn't owe us or owe you or owe me anything. That's the truth. God doesn't owe me anything on this earth. It rains on the just and the unjust, and that causes friction and failure and problem and trial and question and doubt. It causes fear that resonates in our heart, what we just heard about in a victorious song. It causes all these questions, whether it's our choices or whether it's happenstance or circumstance that hits us right between the eyes. We weren't prepared for it. We didn't desire it. We weren't waiting for it. It just happened, and now we have to live with it. And how do we respond to that? How do we walk through that? How do we traverse that? How do we put on the armor of God? How do we live out the gospel? How do we walk through our faith when we know that people could look at us and go, yeah, but you deal with depression. Yeah, but your child has this illness. Yeah, but you've gone through cancer. Yeah, but this, yeah, but this, yeah, but this. All these yeah, buts that, that cause us to want to walk by faith. We desire to walk by faith. We desire to exhume the love of God in everything we do, but there's still this nagging concept in question if God loves us so much, why, why do bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to me? Why do bad things happen to people that I love? And I, I don't render to believe this morning that one sermon or one message is going to give us the qualification, so I want to I preface that. But I want to say something very honestly and from the depth of my heart with a shepherd that loves you, that I don't want to give you half a gospel. I don't want to give you a prosperity gospel without the truth, of the truth of the fact that sometimes you may have to suffer a cross situation. You may have to go through something that you didn't intend for. You may have to go through something and pay for something that cost you more than you wanted to spend and took you further and longer than you wanted to go. You may find yourself laid up in a bed dealing with a sickness and pain that Percocet can't touch. And you've cried out before God and you, you've screamed out before Him and you've asked God, I just want to know why. Why? If you love me, if I'm your son, if I'm your daughter, if my child is your son or your daughter, why are we walking through this? Why haven't you healed? Why haven't you touched? We can go through a lot of different theologies, and this is why pastors and churches and people don't want to preach a full gospel, because you cannot walk in the power of the gospel until you've answered the question, if God loves me, why do bad things happen? If you haven't answered that question, if you haven't tackled it, if you haven't come up with some formulated resolve in your own spirit, in your own mind, you're going to continue to hold God in contempt of court in your mind, and you're going to allow fear and doubt to fester. On the outside, everything may look good. On the outside, you may sing, blessed be his name, but on the inside, there's still this question of how come I'm dealing with this? You can read books. 
You can read lectures, you can look at blogs, you can watch videos, you can do whatever you want, but when the rubber meets the road, there's still this question deep in your heart that you have to answer in order for the gospel to become alive in you. Our Savior had to answer it. Towards the end of the thoughts that I'm going to share with you in just a few moments, I think everything about the gospel is revolving continually about the suffering of the cross and the price of the cross and the glory of the cross. Why was that God's plan? Why couldn't Jesus come back like the Jews are looking for? I want you to think about that. The Jews have been waiting for a messianic era where a Messiah or a spirit of Messiah is going to come and there's going to be world peace and everybody's going to get along with everyone and everybody's going to share everything with everybody and there's going to be no more war and there's going to be no more trial. There's going to be no more tribulation. There's going to be no more conflict and this person's going to come and reign supreme and walk in glory and majesty and everything in the world is going to be in harmony. Why didn't Jesus come back like that? That would be easy for us to live out. That would be easy for us to exalt. That would be easy for us to shout. That would be easy for us to to have our screensavers and our our bumper stickers and our t-shirts and our hats be representative of every and all the good things that Jesus did. But every time we wear a t-shirt or have a bumper sticker or a hat, people know the real us that's behind all that. Or at least somebody does. I've, uh, I acquire material all the time. And I'll be honest with you, about four or five years ago, I came across this letter and I extracted it. I tried to go back in the last couple of weeks and find it and find the source of it. And I don't know if it's been removed or just buried I don't know if it was sent to me. I believe it was sent to me by by someone in in our congregation. But I want to share some thoughts with you today. And I just want to deliver some things to you today. And I wanted to articulate it correctly. So I've I've written it out. Written it down. We're going to have some prayer about it. Hopefully we'll have some time around the altar to contend with it. Maybe it's just something that you can take with you today and spend some time with God about. But how many of you know that that so often the example of the gospel is tainted by our own opinion and our own wants and desires? That's why offense is so relevant in the church. I didn't get it my way. I didn't have the songs my way. Pastor's not leading my way. Pastor Jimmy's not doing it my way. The board of elders, I don't even know if they're saved. They're definitely not doing it my way. Whatever the concourse of our attitude and all of a sudden offense and question and doubt comes into the sanctuary every Sunday, whether it's relegated over the leadership or whether it's relegated over our own turmoil and our inner heart and our spirit and we're just going by one day at a time. We're walking through our desperation. We're walking through our broken relationships. We're walking through our broken marriages. We're walking through the choices and decisions that we've made that that we wish we didn't have to suffer and have a penalty for, but somehow we know for the wages of sin and so we've got all this justification but we can't walk out the gospel because we're still living in defeat and fear and we just want to know why if God loves us why does bad things keep happening 
This is a letter from a Christian struggling with a prayer that's gone unanswered, and they just want to know why. I don't know if you've ever dealt with this, but you can't propitiate the gospel till you answer the question of why didn't God, why didn't God intervene? Why didn't God save my loved one who died? Why, why didn't God change the outcome of my diagnosis? Why didn't God bail me out at that moment when I was about ready to get laid off and we were about to be homeless? Why, why did God, why, why, why is this still lingering? Why is this problem still going on? Why am I still living this situation in my marriage? Why, 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 why? I keep trying to fake everybody out and in the, and in the meantime I feel like I'm a hypocrite in my own life because I have all these questions that don't have any answers, but I know what the truth is and I know where I have to stand in the truth. So I wanna partner with the truth of what Jesus Christ is and who I know and believe Jesus Christ to be, but yet there's something churning in my heart. I can't get along with authority. I can't come underneath authority. I can't deal with other people. I get friction and I get division all the time and there's this continual clash in me, but I wanna, I want, I wanna do something to change the world. See it? There's going to be a spot. We don't like, preachers don't like to preach about it. That's why I've, I've, I'm very secure that the message that you're going to hear today is very few and far between. Because the wheelhouse of every preacher is to talk about be, God being love. And no matter what, God loves you. And we know that. That's not a question. The unconditional love of God is not in question today. The outcome of that love based in an earthly environment is the turmoil where Satan tries to season it so that we can walk in doubt and speculation and fear and worry. Whew. You got to get some of what I'm saying today. So this gentleman wrote a letter. This is what it says. I prayed to God every day to heal my little brother. Like Jacob, I planned to take hold and not let go and not let him go until he blessed my brother with freedom from the captivity of his disability. My knees soared, my back ached. Accidental sleep ended my prayer sessions often. Days grew to weeks and weeks to years. I pled daily and as a real as a result, I nearly lost all faith. Never before had I questioned whether God heard me or not. Never before had I prayed with enough detail to know how he replied. I would, I would ask, I would ask to hate my sin more vehemently. I would ask for his kingdom to come more earnestly. I would ask to know more of his love, to see his glory, to serve his people. I prayed appropriate prayers, God-inspired prayers, but safer prayers. Prayers with no expiration date and no final clarity as to whether God had said no or would say no until the diagnosis came. Necessity, not courage, brought me to ask specifically that my brother be healed because his disability is eroding his current life ability. My request, my passion, my heart, it had a name it had a laugh. It had a confused expression when we talked. God's answer to my prayers would be observable, testable, public. God's yes or no would be seen by more than just the eyes of faith. He would, he would heal my brother or he would not. And after 18 years, he has not. Taking it personally. After countless prayers, 
what I never anticipated happened. I started to take God's silence personally. Not only was he not healing a loved one, a pain that is harder to bear than enduring one's own affliction, but he also was not answering me in my darkest hour of crying out. My prayers had begun with excitement, but as the rains fell and the winds blew, as my legs started shaking from exhaustion and my hands bruised from knocking continually, the voice of a desperate man echoed upon the door frame was the only thing heard. My thoughts spiraled. I wasn't doubting, mistreating a spouse, living in gross sin, asking from impure motives. Why did he prolong his refusal to me? Why didn't God care? Surely his sanctifying work had been accomplished in the years of asking. Surely the stage had been set for him to glorify his name with a miracle. Surely he hated disabilities too. Somewhere along the way, I begin to cringe a little as I begin my prayers with Father. Hmm. Somewhere along the way, my petitions for my brother's healing became commingled with a cry to know that my father even heard me, that he wept for me in some way that he actually cared for me. What started with a childlike request soon matured into an orphan's resentment. I had become resentful and bitter because my life, what I thought in my faith and what I thought about the gospel wasn't adding up to the context of the truth that was every day put before me in my life. Oh, and I I was not alone with my thoughts. Ever so often, Satan would come and sit with me, peripherating my thinking with doubts like this. He would say this in my mind and in my thoughts. As you know, the prayer of a righteous man has great power to heal. That's found in James 5.16. You've prayed for years now. Are you really, really a righteous man? I think not. He would say things like, your father seems to be answering his other children's prayers. Why do you think he isn't answering you? Since he does all that he pleases, according to Psalms 115.3, do you think your brother's healing might not please him after all? Anybody in here ever had the enemy show up in your mind in times of prayer and intercession? Answers in silence. But as I was wallowing in the pit, at the proper time, God healed my brother. That is the sentence I wish I could end this letter with. I would love to fast forward through the struggle, through the doubt and the confusion to a hard-fought, happily-ever-after moment where everything I ever wished for and dreamed had become a reality. My prayers still lingered in a quiet place. I still fight whispered doubts. I still am tempted to succumb to what Jesus encouraged against in Luke 18, losing heart and ceasing prayer. But one thing I've discovered through it all, I will not allow the gospel and my faith in it to be regulated to this event of unanswered prayer. I will stand the test by making faith and exhibit to all out of the ashes of disappointment and questions, I will love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, because the truth be told, my wonderful heavenly Father owes me nothing and I will fight to the end and believe till it's all over. 
There has to come a resolve in our spirit that's in the last paragraph of that letter. That it's not based on what God can do for you. See, that's where the gospel has been regulated. I'll love the Lord. I'll believe by faith. I'll witness. I'll let my life shine. I'll let Jesus come through to me. But he better answer every prayer, every time, all the time, exactly like I want. (gasps) Wouldn't that be great? You see, that can't be regulated to the gospel that comes out of your life. It seems we live in a world of more questions than answers, to be honest with you today. In fact, for every answer we find, it seems as if it brings with it even more questions. We live in a world today in which information is growing exponentially. We can boot up our computers or push a few buttons on our cell phones right now with the results of search engines supplying us with a hoard of information on any given topic. Yet, listen to this, yet, with all of the information around us, we still have the same problem. We don't know why things happen the way they happen. We don't. We don't know why we're dealing with our situation and circumstances. We don't know why we're faced with our hearts of doubt and fear. We don't know why we're dealt with the family situations and circumstances and dynamics we're dealt with. We don't know why our son and daughter is choosing to rebel against the cause of Jesus Christ when they were raised up in a home and we stand on the word of God that says... If you train them up in the ways they will go, they won't depart from it. But every day we have to watch what they do. We see what they do on Facebook and we have to shake our head in despair and question. It causes our faith to question. It causes our stand to waver. It causes our hope. What are the things that we want to give God credit for and have him involved in within our lives? What are those things we want to give God credit for? And what are the things that we don't want, that we want to do ourselves without God's intervention or knowledge. How how many of you know, everybody look up here, how many of you know we can't have it both ways, but that's the way we want it? There's a lot of things we want God involved in and we want him to answer now and we want him to do it now and we want him to change it now. And then there's some other things we just hope he's not looking at the right time. We just hope he's not partnering with this decision. We hope he's not here at this hour. He, he, we, we hope he doesn't see this self-indulgent, prideful behavior. So we want him sometimes, but we, we don't want him other times. Can we really have it both ways in, in the misunderstanding or even the better understanding of God's sovereignty and God's love for us? And what are the things that we want to do ourselves. It seems we want it both ways, but can we have it that way? Uh, Listen to this. Obviously, evil and suffering are a result of a free, sinful choice of mankind and of human beings. God gives us a free will, and he allows us to choose between good and evil. What directions, what paths, and what roads to take in our lives is based on our choices and our decisions in most cases. Look, look at this. this is, we can go through many, many individuals in the Bible, but let's just take one or a couple for, for example. Look at Joseph. Joseph is one of those examples in Scripture for someone to say, why did bad things happen? He's rejected from his family. He's sold into slavery and bondage by his family. He's, he's sent to Potiphar's house, and he's, he's blamed for something, to, for choosing to be righteous, and he spends 10 years in jail for it. Of all the people in the world that could be scratching their head, looking up towards the heavens at God going, what in the world? Everything you've told me to do in your word, I'm doing and I'm still eating slop in prison. Sold into slavery. 
and into prison for being righteous, then later, listen to this, then later confronted by the very people who started it all, this is what he said to his brothers. This is where faith and the gospel are resident, even in the Old Testament. Look at what Joseph says and the horrificness that happened in his life. Look what he says about it to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20. This is what he says. You meant it for evil, but God turned it for good for the saving of many lives. Pastor Jim, are you saying that what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with that's bringing question, worry, and fear into my heart and possibly stealing the witness of the gospel in my life could be turned around and God could use it for good? Absolutely, positively, that's what God calls a testimony. And we can either live in the past testimony of who we used to be or we can walk in the testimony of the destiny and of the identity that he intends for us to be. I want, to, I want to share this with you this morning. God is in the business of turning evil and suffering around for his greater good, his greater glory, and his greater purposes, which are beyond our logic and our understanding. There are many things that our human mind and intellect will never be able to understand until we get to heaven. The word says that. Look at what Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says. This is God speaking through the prophet. He says this, for my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts the question why do bad things happen if god loves me implies that if a good god exists then struggles trials bad and evil things shouldn't because god being all powerful and all knowing could stop them and should stop them I want everybody to get this this morning. If that's the case, we must ask and answer two very important questions in order to conclude why things happen like they happen. Here's the first one. Here's the first thing we have to ask ourselves. What is evil? We have to talk about that. What is evil? Is it that which is against or rebellious to God? Is it anything morally bad or wrong? Is it a depraved, wicked, insidious human being or individual? Some examples for what might be evil might be murder, stealing, lying, cheating. Here's the second one. Second, if we want God to stop evil, do we want him to stop evil or just some of the evil? In other words, if we choose just some of it, then what? What do we want God to intervene on and what do we want God not to intervene in? If he were to stop only part of the bad things that happen, then we would still be asking this question, why is there evil and bad things happening in the world? So we can conclude it would have to be all or nothing right. Either God's going to do it all or God's not going to do it at all. So let me give you a little, little illustration for your thinking. Let's just kind of surmise here this morning. Let's suppose that someone was about to commit murder. What if they were to walk into the church like they did in Texas a few months ago and they were going to face the very back and start shooting people? What if they committed murder? God would have to stop him or her, maybe whisper in their ear, or if that didn't work, do something a little more drastic, like having something fall on them, or if that didn't work, make their hands fall off right in front of us. Anyway, God would have to do something to intervene. What if somebody wanted to steal? God would have to stop them too. Undoubtedly, God's sovereignty would, be, would permit more practical methods than I suggested earlier, but the end result would be the same. No one could ever steal from anybody. What about lying? If someone were to tell a lie, then to be consistent, wouldn't we want God right there to stop that person from lying? Cause them to become mute instantly or lock their jaw closed. After all, he couldn't let any evil occur, could he? Let's take it one step further. Suppose someone thought something evil. 
then of course, God would have to step in and prevent them from thinking bad things, right? We can't have anything bad, so we can't think bad things. The end result would be God could not allow anyone to think or act freely in their own will and choices. Listen to this statement because it conflicts with the gospel all the time. The end result would be God could not allow anyone to think or act freely in their own will and choices. He would have to control everything and everyone would become like a puppet on the earth. At what point do we allow God to stop intervening in our lives and our choices? At the murder level, the stealing level, the lying level, or the thinking level? As these questions imply, if you want God to stop evil, he would have to be He would have to be consistent and we'd want him to do it the same everywhere all the time with everyone. Not just pick and choose and show favorites. That wouldn't work. Can I hear an amen? Amen. You see, evil is in this world. Listen to this. Evil's in this world because, to be honest, each of us contribute and give it place. Even good people. But ultimately because God, in his sovereignty, wants us to choose what is right and wrong. He allows us the free will to make choices that will ultimately choose him or reject him with our life. Then you might say, couldn't he just make us perfect and that way we would never do bad or sin? He already did that. He made a perfect angel named Lucifer, but he figured out how to rebel and sin. He made a perfect man named Adam and he sinned. He made a perfect woman named Eve and she sinned. God created us the way we are for a purpose. We may not fully understand that purpose, but he does because he is sovereign. So listen to this. How can God allow evil and our free will of choice at the same time? We simply need to look no further than the cross of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many believe beyond a shadow of a doubt it was by evil means that men put Jesus on that cross and crucified him? How many believe it was evil that did that? Listen to this, yet God, listen to this, it was evil that did that, yet God in his infinite wisdom used this evil to change your life and to cause you to be here today to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not because of what the gospel can do for you, but because of what the gospel just is. It was on the cross that Jesus bore our sins upon himself according to 1 Peter 2.24 and it is because of the cross that we can have forgiveness of our sins today in each and every one of us. All we have to choose is the true gospel, the true way, the true life. In God's plan, he's able to use for good what man may see and view as evil. God, through it all, has provided by faith a way for us to stand. By faith, by faith. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, there's a way to stand. By faith, by faith. It's not anything of this world. It's not anything that we can see. It's not anything that may be tangible. It's by faith. It's by faith, I believe. It's by faith that I walk. It's by faith that I take my doubts 
captive. It's by faith that I don't hold God accountable to the evil that's happened in the world, the choices of other people that may have acquitted or may have conflicted with the things that would have brought me peace or brought me hope or brought me joy. Decisions that I couldn't trump, decisions that I couldn't override, but yet they're conflicting in my everyday walk. They're conflicting every day in my spirit and my mind. They're conflicting every day with my heart and my passion towards my heavenly father. Just like the gentleman with the letter at the beginning. He just needs to pray harder, right? He just needs to fast harder, right? He just needs to partner with the faith healer and go to every seminar and go to every conference he can until God heals his brother. He's missing something. It's got to be his fault. It can't be God's will that his brother be disabled. We won't accept that. It can't be God's will that my family's far away. It can't be God's will that my family's not serving God. It can't be God's will that my parents are, 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 are not. It can't. It just can't. I won't allow it. And yet every day we get churned and we get encumbered and we get angry. And we search for scriptures. And then we don't want to read our Bible. We don't want to worship. We don't want to pray. Because life has not panned out the way we want it. And every time we hear a sermon like this, every time we hear a message, we get all festered and intense. Because we don't have an answer. And I say we've always had an answer. That's the answer. It's always been the answer. It'll always be the answer. It stood the test of time. It'll always stand the test of time. He was the beginning. He is the end. He is the alpha. He is the omega. He is the bright and morning star. He is the great I am. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the one who heals. He is the one who redeems. He is the one who gives life and gives it more abundantly. It is in him that we have and move and have our being. That's the gospel. What do you think would resonate as the gospel for a lost and hurting world? A whole bunch of people who found perfection in Jesus Christ? That's what, that's what Paul says, that we can walk perfectly. But we can walk perfectly, not because of the objectivity of we have no pain, we have no sorrow, we have no tribulation, we have no struggle, we have no unanswered prayer, but we can propitiate the gospel because in the midst of all of that, we stand and having done all the stand, he is our victor and we're more than conquerors in Christ. Christ Jesus. So I give you my text this morning at the end of my message. This is the text. This is the gospel. This is the gospel in a summarization of a lump chunk of verses. This is the gospel. This is what we stand by. This is who we are. This is the resonant love of Christ. This is the resonant love of God. Through tribulation, through trial, through despair, through conflict, through problem, through, through turmoil. This is what the word says. This is the platform. This is the substance. This is the foundation of the gospel of Jesus' love for us. Romans 8, beginning at verse 35. Read it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Basically, will wars, will unanswered prayers, will conflicts, will that separate you from the love of Christ? Pastor Jim, I'm not separated from the love of Christ. I know Jesus loves me and I love him. Then why isn't that coming out of your life in the midst of your despair? Why will you not pray about that issue anymore? Why will you not even talk about it? 
Why have you gone into isolation? Why have you become right and everybody's become wrong? How many of you know that doesn't mirror the gospel? Jesus didn't do that. 36, as it's written, for your sake, look what, look what it says. For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. This is the gospel. Verse 37, and I underlined it. No, no, not no, no. How many understand that? Not K-N-O-W, not that we know something. No, no, this is a no. No, in all these things we are more. All this stuff, all the peril, all the turmoil, all the sword, all the issue, all the problem. No, we know this thing. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's in the midst of that that the gospel comes out. It's in the midst of that we have victory over fear. We have victory over despair. We have victory over questions. We have victory over anguish. That's the life of a Christian that this world wants to see. That's the light that they need to see that something's different in us. That's the love of God that will change a dark and hurting world. They want prosperity. They want it to be fair. But the truth is God gave us a will to choose. And in the dark times and in the bright times, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I will not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the water, I will not be moved. For I'm convinced. Here's the gospel. For I'm convinced that neither death, you can kill me, nor life, I can live till I'm 100. Neither angels nor demons, especially them latter ones, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the answer to a lost and hurting world's question. Not to fix their stuff. Not to change their despair. God can do that and he desires to do that. But even in the midst of it, there's a group of people that proclaims, I've been made more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer in the love of Christ Jesus. Paul said, who shall separate us? Who shall separate us? Who shall separate? Who shall, who shall separate you from the love of Christ? Who shall separate? I have the answer. Who shall separate you? There's only one thing. It's not Satan. It's not your circumstance. It's not your child. It's not your unanswered prayer. It's you. That's the answer to his question. He asked a powerful question. Who shall separate us? It's me. It's me not partnering with correct faith. It's me not partnering with the, the correct love of God. It's me not standing today and saying, through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all. see, circumstances don't separate us from the love of God. God is always, God is always, everybody say that, God is always, God is always. Even during the darkest of days, 
before we become trapped and bound by the doubts of if God loves me, why do bad things happen? We ought to consider what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and make that our prayer over everything that the enemies try to use to divide us and to conquer us and to bring fear and worry and doubt to us to separate us from the gospel and the faith that we're supposed to walk in and be dispelled in as Christians and men and women of the cross. Look at what Jesus prayed and let it be your prayer and your thought today. In Matthew 26, 39. And he went a little further and he fell on his face. And this is what he prayed. Saying, Oh my Father. Oh my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will. Not as I want. Not as I have planned. Not as I have desired. You see, I want want everybody to listen. Everyone just look up here for just a few moments. Why is it that everything that defined God's, this is in an infinite moment called life, when the reality of who we are in God is eternal forever? Did anybody grab that? If we allow the enemy to steal and kill and destroy us for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this finite little bit of time called life, little teeny bit of time, when in the reality of forever, do you realize eternity is the thing that needs to be preached, not prosperity and cheap grace? I want to say that again. Eternity is what needs to be preached in pulpits, not prosperity and cheap grace. It's time for God's people to say, no matter what, having done all to stand, I'm not going to let my doubt, I'm not going to let my frustration. I'm, gonna not, I'm not going to allow the enemy to lie and deceive me anymore that God dealt me a wrong deal and didn't do what I wanted him to do when, when I wanted him to do it. Therefore, I'll have a form of godliness while denying the... I won't have any power because I really don't care. I'll do the church thing. I'll pay my tithe and I hope just to get to heaven. Do you realize that is not the purpose of salvation in the gospel? It's just so that you'll make heaven? I'm preaching truth today. The whole purpose of the gospel is so that your life will be changed in the midst of your storms. So that your example will exist in the midst of your pain. So that through it all, you've learned to trust in Jesus through it all. Through every broken relationship, through every broken marriage, through every situation that you don't like with your children, through every circumstance of disabilities, of cancer, of problems and trials, can God heal? You bet. Are we going to pray for healing? As for me and my house, we will pray and we will agree. Is God going to heal cancer and change lives? Yes, he will. But though he not, I still will serve him. That's the gospel. Though nothing change, I will serve him. Though nothing shift, I will love him as much as he's loved me. Because he doesn't owe me anything. He already did it all. He did it all. If you read the story of the cross, he doesn't owe me anything. He already gave it to me. Now it's my job to let it shine. It's my job. And I want to say this with you. If we had all prosperity and if we had all blessings and great and wonders happened to each and every one of us, how many that are lost out there would even give a rip? 
The greatest power of the gospel is in the midst of what I just read in Romans 8, that in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your travail, in the midst of your questions, in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of sword, in the midst of pestilence, you know that Christ loves you and you will not change. Stand with me this morning. I want to say this. My desire as your shepherd is to present to you some things that will stir you, not make you angry, not make you doubt worse, but to stir you to his goodwill in your life. Not your goodwill, but his goodwill. And so often in our heart and our spirit, we get contentious and we get in friction with things. And we get wrapped in things. And I just want to say this. Everyone hear this. We are stuck in an event that happened 10 years ago, 4 years ago, 6 years ago, 8 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 38 years ago, 60 years ago. We're stuck. We're stuck in this concept of if God had done this for me then, I would serve him differently now. Oh, how Satan has robbed and stolen and killed from us. I want you to hear my heart. That even in the midst of this earthly turmoil, even in the midst of it raining on the just and the unjust, I'm a child of the King. My Father God loves me with an unwavering, unconditional love. And I may live in an evil world born into Adam and Eve, but there's one thing I know and one thing I know for sure about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am a conqueror through the cross because of what he's already paid and bought for me. So I want you today, I want you to ponder this. I want it to stir in you. I really believe that God's got something supernatural for us in the future at Refuge City Church. God's already been using us to do amazing things. But if we don't understand and grasp the true gospel, if we don't walk in humility, everybody say humility. Do you know the thing that separated God from mankind? It's summed up in one five-letter word. You've heard me preach it before. It's called pride. Do you realize that that's the same thing that continues to separate us from God when we are upset and we are frictioned with his sovereignty? It's pride. It's our pride thinking we could do it better and God's not doing it right or just for us. Instead of just saying, I've been made more than a conqueror. I'm an overcomer. Not because of this life, but because of what Jesus paid for for my next life. So I get to live every day displaying heaven on earth instead of earth on earth. So I'd like you, if you would, just to bow your head, close your eyes. I want to pray for you today. Some of you may need to come down to this altar and you need to settle some things. And so after I close here, in just a few moments, we're going to open this altar. I'd like everybody to be reverent and courteous. And I'd like you, if you would, to save your fellowship for the four-year. Don't open the four-year doors, please, ushers. Leave them closed so that people can go out. This morning, as I stated and started this message, I've contended with this word because 
Not because it's not truth, not because it's not right, not because we shouldn't be stirred by it. But because I know there are many of you that are here that are dealing with, that are dealing with an unanswered prayer. You're still going through cancer. You still may lose a body part. You still may have to have that tumor removed. You may have a child that's made choices that seems like they've driven them further and further away from the cross. You may be on your third marriage wondering if this one's going to work. I want to tell you something. We've got to quit living with earthly things smothering us. We've got to surrender today some things that says, I'm going to live for the cause of Jesus Christ. No matter what, no matter when, no matter how, I will not move. I will not move. I will serve him. I will love him. Not because he loved me, just loved me. But I want, I want to love him as an example to a lost and hurting world that in the middle of my mess, in the middle of my struggle, in the middle of all of my wounds, there's a God that still walks in victory. And because my Jesus walked in victory, I'm more than a conqueror through him. And if you're here today and you would say just to yourself, just to yourself, I really believe you have to acknowledge this because it's going to release some pride and some anguish and some anger and some hard words that you've said towards God and towards authority, not just man, but towards God's authority and God's sovereign. You, you have spewed some things out of your mouth that have created a wall. And today's the day of repentance. The day's the day where you take responsibility for that and you deal with it and you say, God, I no longer want to relegate the gospel to all of my wants and desires and needs. I may not understand it, but I will serve you and I ask for you to forgive me and I will no longer hold you in contempt of the court of my mind. If that's you this morning, I want you to raise your hand. You know exactly who you are. Raise your hand. Raise your hand all across this building. Wow. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your humility. Father, I thank you and I praise you this morning for your word. I thank you for Romans chapter 8, our text today. Verses 35 through 39. Lord, may we go home and read them and reread them. Father, may we stand upon your hope. May we stand upon the gospel. May we stand upon your word. May we stand upon your cross. Not because of all the pleasure, not because of all the prosperity, not because of all the wants and needs that we want fulfilled down here. But Father, may we look at it from an infinite thought. That no matter what, through it all, through it all, we've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit refugecity.church for more information on how you can become a part of that team.
If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, you can take a screenshot and share it on your social stories, and make sure to tag us at Refuge City Church. Thanks for listening.